wonderful thing to see all you together. Uh, I thought, wow, it's going to be a lot like preaching like Billy Graham into a big crowd. <laughs> but uh, don't worry, I know I'm not Billy Graham, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, but look around, because you might see somebody you didn't know belonged to your church because they went to the 8.30 when you went to the 11, or you went to 11 and they went to the 8.30. So greet everybody and realize that God really has blessed this church with a wonderful congregation. I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. I think at least 20 people have said that to me since I came in this morning. And I got to wondering, what do we mean by Merry Christmas? So I thought, well, maybe it has to do with, you know, God uh, uh, bless you, Merry gentlemen. Um, maybe it comes from that, that hymn, God rest you, Merry gentlemen. And uh, so I looked that up. And uh, it turns out that I've been singing that hymn wrong. I thought it was, God bless you, Merry gentlemen. But in the Middle Ages, there was a phrase that people would greet each other by, and it was, God bless you, Mary. In other words, bless you in a way in which you have peace in your life, joy in your life, fullness in your life. It was a common expression in the Middle Ages, used by Shakespeare, in fact, in one of his plays, and around the 1700s, uh, somebody, we don't know who, wrote a hymn called God Bless You, excuse me, God Bless You, Mary. Gentlemen, see the comma there? So think about that. When you say Merry Christmas, you're saying God bless you, Mary. May you have peace, joy, and fullness. And it just so happens that that hymn is actually a hymn that is uh, written uh, responding to our text this morning, uh, where we he read in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So let me read our text this morning. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Hear the word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the, angel went away, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen 
as it had been told. This is the word of God. Let us respond together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. actually heard a sermon a week ago. It was a recorded sermon by Tim Keller in which he said that this particular passage, verse 14, the glory of God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased is the most familiar passage in all the Bible. Now, honestly, I thought, well, what happened to John 3.16? Or uh, maybe Psalm 23. But then he went on to explain it this way. He said, think about it. Think about how many times, especially at Christmas, you read that phrase. You know, it's everywhere. It's on, on Christmas cards. Uh, it it uh, is in music that we hear at Christmas time. Uh, it, it's in storefronts. Everywhere you see it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Well, I thought, you know what, if it's that important, we'd better dig into it. Even though we have heard it many times before, I came to believe this as I read that simple verse, that this really is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Think about it for a minute. What was happening there on that day, just like a, a thunderclap, a bolt of lightning, uh, the, you know, their, Life of the, of those shepherds was, was changed. They, they, they were probably settling down for the night. The sheep were beginning to calm down. Some were laying down and so on. And as the text says, suddenly, suddenly the sky lights up at noon, like noon. Angels appear and they're filled with fear. And not only is there one angel, but then all of a sudden there is a host of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Now, last week I told you that when angels come, people pay attention. Uh, angels are not those cute little things, you know, that we have on our knick-knack shelves and so on. I told you that last week. I, and again, I don't want you to get rid of any of those. I actually spotted a couple more this morning that I honestly didn't know we had. Uh, and they are cute. And they're okay, but they're not real angels. When angels come, human beings pay attention. They're set back on their heels because when an angel appears, this is a person created by God to bring a message from God that people need to hear. And that's really what we have in this passage. You may not know it, but... Our catechism, the larger catechism, uh, question 16, actually talks about angels. This is what it says. God created all angels as spirits, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power. Why? To execute God's commandments and to praise his name. That's what they were there for that particular morning. They came to glorify God and to tell not just the angels, but all of us. Everything is going to change because a baby is going to be born in a manger not far from here, but that child born 
In a barn is going to change everything about history, everything about your life. If you come to the place where he becomes your Lord and your Savior. If nothing else, when we read this passage, we need to catch something of the wonder, something of the excitement, I think, in this rather dull world that we live in. You know, when you think about it, we're kind of taught today by a lot of people, like, you know, forget that, that kind of spiritual stuff and, 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 you know, that supernatural stuff. Let's get rid of that. You know, we know that our lives are nothing, you know, but retreaded uh, stardust anyhow. And wasn't there a guy, what was that guy's name, Carl Sagan or something like that, that said, you know, we're just a, just a, a, a group of, of beings that, that live on a pale planet uh, in a non-significant uh, um, solar system uh, in, in what's really dark, dark, dark space. Well, you know what I like about this story? That's, it seems to me that this is the answer to that dark space, the darkness that we see around us because of the sinful conditions that we all have to endure both externally and internally. The Christmas story is about God. It is about the supernatural breaking in to our world, a world that needs it so badly. It is a story of light, as John says in chapter 1, uh, which is really his Christmas story. Light has come into this world. Light has come into this world. That's the message of Christmas. Really, that light was the fulfillment of something that had been promised Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke to the serpent. The serpent must have thought he had won a great victory. He must have been pretty pleased with himself, plunged the whole human race into chaos and sin. And God said to the serpent, no, you've not won. I'm going to send one. And that one Yes, that one is going to crush your head. You might wound his heel, but he will crush your head. Well, that's the one. That's the one in the manger. That's the fulfillment of that promise way back there. And all of those stories in the Old Testament are leading up to that event when God would fulfill what he promised. Salvation would come into this world. Yes, in the form of a baby. Yes, in a manger, but nevertheless coming with redemption, coming with forgiveness, coming with eternal life, with all of that splendor in a manger. So, when we read this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, what kind of peace is or are the angels singing about? Well, Tim Keller reminded me, at least, that it's not political peace. It's not international peace. It would be nice if it was. I mean, I've spent the last three weeks teaching pastors in Ukraine. Uh, for 25 years, I went over there in person and did it, but obviously you can't go in person now, so I did it by Zoom. And, uh, and I did see some of the suffering and, and some of my dear friends who are trying to keep their uh, churches together and trying to, to help uh, in the community and feed people who don't have food and patch up houses and put plastic over windows and all of that. Wouldn't that be great 
If all that could be done away with, someday it will be. That's also part of the Christmas story. Christ is coming again, and when he comes, all of that will be fixed. But that's not the peace that this particular text is talking about. And it's not talking about the bigger war, too, that we see all around us, and that is the war between God and Satan. Uh, the war between good and evil that we see everywhere. Uh, in our own time, we see it uh, evangelized almost in, in, in a theology we, we call wokeism. Uh, if you sit back for a moment and think about it, it's, it's the craziest stuff you ever heard. Nobody could believe that. And yet they do. And that's because of how fallen we are as human beings. That shows something of the heart of a fallen person. And again, that does show something of what Christ has come to deal with, but he's not going to do away with the cultural wars in this in our lifetime. They've always been here, and they always will be here. Uh, that's not the peace that this text is talking about. So what is this peace, then? It's the war that rages every one of our hearts. In the heart of every man and every woman, it is the war of sin, a fallenness that we inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve. We understand sin is not doing bad things. Bad things are the result of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It's saying, God, I'll run my own life. It's saying, I will be my own sovereign. I'm going to take your place. That is the war that this text is talking about. Bringing peace between those who are rebels against God and those and God Himself, and bringing us together. Meredith Klein, who um, is a emeritus professor at Gordon Conwell and Westminster Seminary, says if you, if you want if you want to understand Luke chapter two, you also have to understand Revelations chapter twelve. We won't go there now, but I'll just tell you the story. It's a picture. Well, what it actually says is there's a wonderful sign that appears in the heavens. And the wonderful sign is a woman expecting to give birth. But all of a sudden, another sign also appears in heaven. It's an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. And the child who is going to rule all nations all of a sudden is born and the dragon is ready to devour the child, but before the child can be devoured, the child is ushered up into heaven and war breaks out between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. And at that point, God speaks in chapter 12 and begin, beginning with verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, this is God. Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our, of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them today and night before our God? And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. And you who dwell in them, 
But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So that's the war that, that this text is talking about. It's the war for men's hearts and men's souls. It's the war that has been really won because of that child born of the woman that conquered even Satan himself. Now, what does this entail in our lives? Paul Tripp says that you need to understand something about the legality of your, of your justification. You are guilty before God, and God has declared you innocent, not guilty. How did he do that? God gave you a surety. You know what a surety is? A surety is somebody who guarantees your forgiveness or uh, your uh, uh, debt has been paid. And that's exactly what Christ does for us. He's our surety. He stands before God as our guarantee. He's the one who covers all of our sin so that when God looks down on us, he doesn't see us. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering us. He's the one who tells us we don't need to live in fear because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the one who says, you don't have to struggle for significance. I bought you with a great price. Look at the value I've placed upon your life. You don't have to worry about death. I've conquered death. And you don't have to worry about judgment. There is no claim on you because I took all your judgment upon myself. I paid the price. You are not guilty any longer. That's the peace that the angels are talking about. That's why the manger changes everything. We just sang it. Heart the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild. And then these words, God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace that our text is talking about. Isn't that great? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world of hatred, violence, injustice, racism, betrayal, disloyalty, self, selfishness, and abuse. But think about it for a minute. That list I just read, doesn't that really define the life of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth? When he left that manger and he grew up and lived here for 33 years, a life of hatred, violence, injustice, racism, betrayal, disloyalty, selfishness, and abuse. You see, all of those things actually define the life of Jesus himself, so they don't define your life. That's not your life. It's the world you live in, but it's not your life, because Jesus, as it were, absorbed those things for you through his life. He was willing to be rejected by God so we could know the perfect love of God for eternity. Now maybe, when I read the text here, you noticed that it was a little different than what you're used to. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's not exactly um, what we 
remember, and what we have read for years in your churches and so on, but that's probably the best translation. Because you see, this peace is not for everybody. It's for those who, in whom God's peace rests. Remember last week we read how the angel came to Mary and said, you have found favor with God? And I explained to you that favor is not that there was something in Mary that impressed God, but rather God chose her to put his mercy on her. And that's true of all of us. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has seen fit to put his mercy on us, his favor on us. We didn't deserve anything. There was nothing in us that caused God to come into this world and die for us, rather simply that he chose us to be one of his people. It's as simple as that. It is for those in whom he is pleased. There are only two camps of people in this world. There are those who serve themselves, love themselves, and believe that they are sovereign over their own life. And those who believe God is sovereign, God has saved them in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've given them their lives to him as their Lord and Savior. That's the beauty of the Christmas story, that that fulfillment has come. That life is not found in autonomy. It's not found in self-reliance. It's not found in the lie that we can live on our own, that we can make it on our own. The fact is that we don't have what it takes to live as we ought to. We can't defeat or win in the battle for our own hearts. Only Christ can. We give ourselves to him. We understand that, again, we need what Jesus has. And so with empty hands, hands of faith, we reach out to receive what he has given to us. That's what it means when it says, to whom he is well pleased. Christ came to free us from self. And he came to give us his place in the family. I think J.R. Pecker put it really well. And he was talking about what the angels were singing here. I've edited this just a little bit, but he said, Peace with God is the assurance that God is for us and that he is with us. He's Emmanuel. Spiritual life must start here, giving ourselves to the one who came and gave himself in our place. Celebrate Christmas. It is Merry Christmas because God says to us, Mary, have Mary. That is, have peace, have assurance, have all that I promise you in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can give you nothing else because that is everything there is. When you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got the best present that you could ever have at this Christmas or any Christmas. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, we do thank you that you sent your Son, our Savior, into this world. Let us with, with great freedom and by the help of his Holy Spirit to celebrate that event this day. Let him be the foundation of our life. Enable us to walk in his way. Help us to follow him as our guide. And let us enjoy him as the source of all light and all grace in this world and in our lives as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.